Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 19. Here this summer we are working through just a few psalms. Um, there is something rich about the psalms, as we have said before. The psalms of David and the other psalmists are beautiful expressions of the gospel. Always. In every psalm that you read in, in the Bible, you will see some truth pointing to salvation in Jesus Christ. Regardless of the fact that Jesus' name is mentioned, the hope that David understood was that hope that there would be a Redeemer that would come. Because God promised it. That's the beautiful thing. When God makes a promise, is it trustworthy? Amen. God said, I will save you if I will send a Redeemer. David understood that God was going to keep His Word. And that came out in psalms and hymns and praise. And we are blessed by having this collection of psalms that point us in the same direction. So if you're able to stand, would you please do so in reverence for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire psalm, even though we're going to focus on primarily verses 7 through 11 today. I think it's important to read this entire psalm in context. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, as we have read your word, we hear the joy in David's heart crying out to you, giving you praise for the fact that, dear God, you are not silent. You speak boldly through your creation. You speak through your word, your scriptures. You speak to us through your spirit within us. And there is no excuse for anyone not to say that they've never heard you. So God, we thank you for the words of your son. 
her servant David here. And my prayer, Lord, is that you speak to us here today. As you speak in your word, you would stir up within us the same passion that David is expressing here. Lord, if we are silent, motivate us to praise and to tell everyone how wonderful your salvation is. If we do not hear you, Father, remind us through these words where we can listen. And I pray, God, right now that you would speak boldly as we look at your word. Let us hear intently. Let our souls be stirred. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 19, again, is a psalm of David for sure. I mean, if you doubt it, just look at the scriptures. It says in the beginning of the psalm, to the choir master, a psalm of David. This is a psalm that David writes in declaration of God's holy word. Now it's interesting here that, that, that we are blessed by having God's scripture. Even in David's time, they had the holy scriptures that they focused on and they, that was their textbook. And when you were in school, you didn't study a bunch of garbage. You studied God's word in the Hebrew tradition. Matter of fact, by the time you were five or six years old, it is understood historically that you would be able to recite the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That was your, that was your schooling. Now, Katie's sitting here going, sure, right? Katie's over there with her eyes real big. Man, they make you memorize that one? Yeah. That was all they learned. Wouldn't it be amazing to teach our children to memorize Scripture? And that is their education in the formative years. What a difference that would make. And David here in writing this wonderful hymn is broken down into three sections. We're going to focus primarily on verses 7 through 11 this morning. But what I want you to see here in the first six verses is the first section where David is declaring that God's creation is his voice. And then in the middle part, verses 7 through 11, David is declaring that, his, that God's word, the Holy Scriptures, are God's voice. And in the last verses, verses 12 through 14, it is the Holy Spirit that speaks through our inner self that we hear God's voice. You see, God is always speaking. He is always declaring His, His glory. Amen? He is constantly there. The problem is that we as sinful fallen people are not listening. Can we say an amen? amen? God is always speaking. He is always near. And it's amazing that whenever we come to salvation in Jesus Christ, there is this light that pops up in our mind and in our soul. Oh, there you are, God. I'm so glad to find you. And God's response in the Scripture is, I've never went anywhere. I'm always here. And David is declaring this wonderful truth. The first few verses here, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Is God's voice screaming loudly in His creation? Absolutely. You cannot, de you cannot deny the fact of a Creator if, you, uh, if you're honest with yourself and honest with the observation of the world around you. How in the world did this whole place that we live in come to be? That's amazing. One of the things that we miss in the modern age <clears throat> is that we live in a place of constant light, night and day. We have electric street lights. We have 
lights in our home, we have lights on our cars, if you are near any type of a city, at nighttime, what you see? Not a whole lot. You ever looked up in the night sky? Can't see much anymore. I mean, every now and then when the sky is clear, you do see a few stars. But imagine what the stars would look like if there was no light pollution from the cities. Has anybody ever experienced that? You've gotten so far away from civilization, so far away from the cities, and you just look up and you're just overwhelmed with everything above you. If you've ever been in that kind of situation, you understand what I mean. And just imagine if you were in David's time, that's what you would have experienced. At nighttime, the, the stars would be so overwhelming, you would not dare think that humanity made any of it. It's amazing. David here is saying, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And in verses 2 through 6, he continues to speak that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. He's speaking there about the rhythm of night and day, week in and week out, seven days a week, four to five weeks a month. Over and over again, we're seeing this cycle of rhythm of God's order. Can't ignore it. God is proclaiming Himself through that. And speaking about the sky above and the order of creation, verses three and four. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. What is their voice that he's speaking about? What is it in them that he's speaking about? He's speaking about the speech of God's creation proclaiming so loudly that God is God. Are we paying attention to that, folks? Or do we just go through our day-to-day -day life blind to the beauty of the created world. It's just why it's important. Whenever uh, I have designed Christian uh, weekend retreats, and I'm thinking and praying about that for us at some time in the next year, I'm trying to design some kind of a getaway where we get away from our work and get away from our, our, our tortures, work and chores and stuff, and school. Oh, bless. we got to get away from school. Kids have started school this week. All right. Doesn't all that stuff kind of distract us from God. It can. And that's why it's a healthy spiritual discipline from time to time to get away to where we can focus and hear God speak. Let's focus here in verse 7. The importance here of David's song, he introduces first that God's voice is loudly proclaimed in His created order. But verses 7 through 11 is the meat. When we look at verse 7 of Psalm 19, David writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What is David proclaiming here? We have to understand that the law of the Lord is generally the name given to Scripture. So, 
we've seen the introduction where David is saying that in the creation of God's order, that he is speaking, pro he's speaking loudly and his glory is very clear. But now God's glory is also perfect and clearly revealed in verse 7 through the law of the Lord. Now many of us, we hear that, we sit there and say, now wait a minute. I don't like being told what to do. God's not supposed to give me laws. Amen? Can we say that? Can we be honest with ourselves and say we don't like being told what to do? Yeah. Right? And when we hear of new laws being passed, especially in the political cycle, we say, oh no, not another law. We get all upset about it. You see where we're going? So if we're not careful, if we, we, when we come to God's text here in Psalm 19, verse 7, and we read things like the law of the Lord, if we're not careful, the sinfulness of our current age is going to cause us to misunderstand what is being said here because the devil will make, make us look at the word law there and stir up within us a feeling of negativity. But in the Old Testament, Especially in the Psalms, when we speak about the law of the Lord, it is always something that is worthy of praise. The law of the Lord is perfect. You see, the problem is whenever we look at human laws, we know that they're not perfect. Amen? Yes. I mean, we can make laws all day long, but what good are they? We don't obey. Right? But see, God's law, according to David's words here, God is speaking through His servant David. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, what does perfect mean? Perfect. I don't think we can think of any other word to describe perfect, right? Is there anything, is there any flaw in what is perfect? No. That's the very definition of the word. Perfect. Flawless. The law of the Lord is perfect. And why is it perfect? Because the psalmist here in verse 7 says, the law of the Lord revives the soul. Another way of seeing this in reviving the soul is you can also say the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We are dead to God when we are in sin. And it is God's law that is what revives us, brings us out of death, converts our soul to be that person that God says, you are mine. The law of the Lord is perfect. This is why our tradition of Southern Baptists, we put such a great emphasis on the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. The teaching and the preaching of God's Word is where we hear God's voice most clearly. It's where God has revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the law and the prophets. God has said, this is who I am. And if we want to know God, His Word right here, if we take the time and the discipline to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, to worship together through it, we will understand who God is. So the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the law of the Lord, in other words, God's holy scripture, makes us wise. But let's talk and think about this. 
I've, I've heard it said many times that God's Word, the Bible, is His roadmap for life. Which I want to say, yes. But, you knew that was coming. You've been around and even gone, there's always a but, right? But, God did not give us this Word in order for us to figure out how to wash the dishes. He didn't give us this word simply to learn how to raise our families, even though that's in there. We know we studied Ephesians a few months back. He didn't give us this word just to figure out how to be prosperous in our finances, which there's a lot of that in there. He didn't give us this word just to figure out how to have good marriages, but that's in there. God gives us this word to make us wise, but what does that mean? I think... The Apostle Paul helps us understand this in his second letter to Timothy. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We want to understand what David means in Psalm 19 verse 7 about the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What is this wisdom that is coming? Why do we need wisdom? What is this wisdom leading us to? 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. This was our opening passage this morning, our call to worship. And there's a reason that this text is tied to Psalm 19. So if you're making notes, you can, in your margins, you can tie 2 Timothy chapter 3 to Psalm 19. Beginning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continuing what you have learned, I have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So what does David mean here? As God is speaking through His servant David, God is declaring that His law, His word, those, the scriptures that we have before us make wise the simple. It means here, and we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 15, that this, with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. The wisdom that David is speaking about in Psalm 19 is the wisdom unto salvation. Knowing what it means for salvation. What Number one, the wisdom to recognize that we need salvation. Can we say an amen? The wisdom to understand that we are failures before God Almighty and that we are depraved, sinful creatures fallen from His grace. It requires God's Word to teach us that. Likewise, God's Word makes us wise for salvation. Teaching us that we need it, what it is, where we find it, who has saved us. And David understood this in his Psalm 19, right? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If you take your notes as well, Galatians chapter 3, Verses 15 through 29, if you wish to read all of that. I'm going to focus on verse 24. This also helps us understand 
why the law of the Lord is simple, making us wise, or making the wise simple. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So if the law of the Lord is what makes us wise, it's making us wise to salvation and pointing us to Christ who is the Savior. The law was our guardian, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 3. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us. It guided us. It directs us. Until Christ came. But now that we have Christ, we understand clearly what the law was talking about. That's the beauty of God's law. Amen? Thank you, Jim. Preacher needs an amen every now. Amen. It's okay. We're a Baptist church. We can say amen. It's all right. Now, let's turn back to Psalm 19. David's Psalm in verse 8 continues. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Boy, isn't that just beautiful to listen to? That's what I love about the Psalms. This is poetic, wonderful, beautiful poetry here. Lyrical uh, truth of God's Righteous law. Because if we think of the law as something that is oppressive and crushing, when we read it in the Psalms, we see that really the law of the Lord is something that is beautiful to listen to. It provides a beautiful way, a beautiful harmony of living. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing hearts. So right there we see in verse 8 that the law of the Lord is not intended to crush us or diminish our spirit. And it's the exact opposite. The precepts of the Lord cause a rejoicing in the heart. Isn't that amazing? Precepts here, if you understand what that word, it also could be translated here as statutes or commandments of God's ordinances. You say, what is the purpose of God's law? In other words, why do we have law? There is this thing that we, we all understand, that this sense of morality. What is right? What is wrong? What is true? What is not true? What is good? What is not good? The idea of morality here is something that God's law directs. God's law really is a moral law pointing to the salvation of Jesus Christ. The reason that God initiated His law is because He understood in the sinful heart of man we needed boundaries. We needed a, a moral code by which to live, but also by which to worship and by which we must learn to obey. Do we not teach our children a sense of morality with conditions of right and wrong? Absolutely. We learned from childhood all the way up to adulthood. We're still learning a moral code. We're still learning how to follow a sense of right and wrong. It is the core of who we are as a people. Whenever we see an injustice, we are constantly thinking about what is right, what is the moral code, what is the moral law that would correct this injustice. More, more clearly, without a moral law, we wouldn't even have a definition for what is unjust or what is wrong. Amen? 
And so God's law really is, is, if you really want to boil down to it, even though it is a law that points to salvation in Jesus Christ, it, was, it is also intended as a moral law. And Paul emphasizes the true purpose of God's law to affect the heart as a sense of a moral law in Romans chapter 2. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 2 quickly. Romans chapter 2, Paul speaks about how the, the law is in itself unable to save us. But it is also Paul telling us that it is the law that points to Christ. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15 is the point that if you're underlining anything, underline verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. You see, the law is not the way to get to God to earn His favor. Instead, the law is the way to live as God calls His people. That's what Paul, that's what David is speaking about in Psalm 19. You see, the commandments of the Lord bring joy. Amen. The commandments of the Lord don't bring joy just to everybody. The commands of the Lord bring joy to the heart of those who are of the right mind. And David here in Psalm 19 is actually declaring the differences here. Last week when we looked at Psalm 18, we saw the same thing. If you are of God's people, you will see joy. If you are not of God's people rejecting the word of the Lord, then you will not see joy in God's word. You will actually see terror. Amen. And so the commands of the Lord bring joy only to the heart of the right-minded or those who are righteous in God. You see, if you are actually right-minded, aligned with God's Word, through the salvation of Jesus Christ, then no good person sees God's commands as something to be avoided. But if you try to avoid God's Word, it's simply because you have avoided the salvation that is guaranteed through the blood of Christ. You see, anyone who looks at God's Word as something to be feared or something to be that, that they want to, that they don't understand... They may be afraid of it because they don't understand it. They may be afraid of it because they're, they're truthfully afraid that God is going to reveal the clarity of their hearts. Can we say it, amen? When we know that we failed, when we know that we're in trouble, we're going to try to hide, aren't we? Amen? That's what God's Word says here in Psalm 19. If you are of right mind, that idea of being in line with God's Word. When you see His law, and it revives your soul, you're going to see joy in that. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing the truth, is what we will say. 
Amen? And that's another hymn in itself. Continuing in verse 9 of Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Now, verse 9 of Psalm 19, this is another section. If you want to write notes in the margin here, you can connect Psalm 19, verse 9, to uh, two other sections. One in Proverbs, one uh, actually two in Proverbs. Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear, and verse Proverbs verse 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Psalm 19, verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean. So the fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord produces all that is right and true. Now what does it mean to fear here? doesn't mean that we're terrified of God. In other words, now again, if you're outside of God's favor, if you're outside of His salvation through Jesus Christ, then yes, you will have a fear, a terror before the Lord. But if you are right-minded in the Lord, this fear of the Lord really implies a respect for the Lord. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It's interesting in verse 9 when we're speaking about Thy word is truth. The words of the Lord are true. That means that God's word is without error. That God's word is without any fiction. God's word is without any deceit. Oh, we can trust this. God's word is true. And like we saw last week in, in Psalm 18, God's word has proven itself over and over and over. Amen? The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether in verse 9. If that's the truth, if that's the case, if God's words are true, they are also uh, justifying themselves. They are self-contained truth. There is nothing else that you need to show it is true, to prove it is true, to compare it to as true. God's law, God's word is righteous altogether. Self-contained. Continue on verse 10. Now verses 10 and 11 here of this section I think is very interesting. As, as David here in verse 7 has introduced how perfect the word of the Lord is and, and the result of that is reviving or converting the soul. Verses 8 and 9 look at how trustworthy his laws are. His word is to be believed and brings joy. Verse 10 is this section of this psalm that points to the beauty of God's word. Look here in verse 10. Speaking about the, the law of the Lord, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. You see, verse 10 is looking at the value of God's Word as the highest value above anything else that we hold dear and, and true. How many of y'all like a bright, shiny gold ring? Yeah, I like that nice gold ring. Wouldn't that be nice? Sure, I like that's nice gold. And gold's getting expensive now. Man, I wish I still had. I wish I bought a bunch of gold when it was five hundred dollars an ounce. Now it's what two thousand plus dollars an ounce or something like that. Man, we've been rich. Isn't that valuable? Sure it is. 
But God's Word is greater than even that. It is to be more desired than the finest gold that you could refine. It's greater than the most precious stone that you could put together in jewelry or to shine and, 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 and show everyone how beautiful it is. God's Word is to be more desired than anything. God's law is more alluring and, and attractive than anything else that we see as beautiful. All parts of God's Word are of the highest value. And the language here in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Because gold, when you first find it, is not very precious. It's, you find that gold ore is, is mixed in with a lot of impurities, and it's not very shiny. And so you have to refine it and polish it and then purify it to the much finer gold. That's what we're attracted to. But God's word is also sweeter than honey or pure or and drippings of the honeycomb. See, raw honey is delicious. Can we say amen? Does anybody have raw honey? But now raw honey also has to be purified through the honeycomb. And so the drippings of the honeycomb is the sweetest of the honey because it has gone through some purification. As wonderful as that is, God's word is sweeter. <laughs> God's Word is much greater than that. God's Word requires no filtration. God's Word needs no refinement because it is righteous altogether and it is of the highest value. It is to be more desired than anything else. Whenever we get into trouble, whenever we've made bad decisions, and no one in this room has ever made a bad decision, right? No. When we make bad decisions, have we been focusing on God's Word? Probably not. Whenever we are attracted to something else other than God's Word, we are misled and led astray to something that is not nearly as valuable or as beautiful or as alluring as the truth of His Word. Because God's Word, if we're reminded in Psalm 19, verse 7, it revives the soul. It, it purifies the mind. It makes wise the simple. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. It is true. It is completely righteous within itself. And in verse 11, we see the application of this. David says in verse 11, Moreover, by them, and by them he's talking about the laws of the Lord, the precepts of God. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So God's Word is both a warning or a caution, but it is also rewarding. Isn't that amazing? As a pastor, I am expected to be in tune with the Lord's mind at all times. But let me just confess to you, that's not always the case. Can I just be real? I'm not always in God's Word. I'm not always in prayer. I'm not always following what the Lord is saying. Do. We are all the same. But I will say this. In my life as a Christian, here's what I have learned. That those times that I find myself distant from the Lord are those times that I also find myself drawn back to the Word and back into God's presence and I missed it. Amen? 
that's what is that's what makes his word so beautiful. That's what makes God's precepts so attractive. Moreover, by the end of verse 11, is your servant warned. God's word warns us. <laughs> God's word is a caution to us. To show us a contrast between what is righteous and true, which is God's love for us and his salvation through Jesus Christ, versus what the world says and what the devil is trying to see to, to distract us by. And God is admonishing us whenever we are misguided and we our eyes are diverted away from him. God's word is that which warns us and cautions us. But whenever we are in alignment with the Lord, when our spirit is in agreement with God's spirit, when we keep God's word, when we, when we actually say to our heart, the law of the Lord is perfect, and our soul is converted and revived and made pure, and we keep God's commandments, there is a great reward. Let me tell you what that reward is. That reward is not your Bentley out in the parking lot. That reward is not the big house. The reward is not even the best job or the perfect family, can we say? Amen? How many of us are, we're sad that our family hasn't measured up to the glossy magazine photo of the perfect Christian family? And, right? We as evangelicals, I will have to say, we rightly call for a good family life. We should be having God at the center of our home, but we are mis we are lying to ourselves if we think that our home is going to be that polished, glossy magazine picture. And then we beat ourselves up because our children aren't the perfect Christian children. Or our husband isn't that godly man. Or our wife is not that godly woman because we're trying to hold ourselves up to something that we can't do on our own. God doesn't expect us to be polished and perfect. He just expects us to be obedient and loyal. Can we say amen? What David says here in Psalm 19, verse 11, Moreover, by then is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. That reward is not the perfect anything. That reward is that God's word makes us wise, letting us see the salvation that is available through Jesus Christ. So that great reward in Psalm 19, verse 11, is the reward of salvation. Amen. Whenever we're singing, singing praises of God's Word, we must remind ourselves what is God's law pointing to? God's law is ultimately pointing to Christ and the salvation that we desperately need through Him. As we transition now at the end of our sermon to communion at the Lord's table. I want us to ponder what David has told us here in his word. You see, Psalm 19 verses 12 through 14 actually points to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Psalm 19 verse 14 let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we prepare our hearts right now to gather at the Lord's table, I want us to ponder these words here from David in Psalm 19, verse 14. Are our words 
acceptable in God's sight? Are our inner thoughts of our heart acceptable in God's sight? I dare say many of the time it's not. But through Jesus Christ, we are acceptable. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Through His blood, God sees us as righteous. And through the blood of Christ, we can cry out, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. That's what we're here to remember today. Can we say that? So as Caleb comes, I want us to transition our hearts into an attitude of prayer and, and personal reflection. We come to this table here not um, on any kind of hope of our own. We come to this table remembering what Christ has done. We do this every month there at Sovereign Grace. You've been here for a while, you understand that. Visitors, we, we have communion every month, first Sunday of the month. And we try to follow the uh, biblical pattern. It's not a command or a law. It's just a, a good practice of whenever the church would gather together in the book of Acts, we read that they would gather together in a love feast. We understand that to be both communion, remembering the Lord's salvation for us, but also a time of fellowship together. That's why we have a fellowship in the last I think it's a biblical concept. Again, not a law. I think just a good practice. So right now, as we are coming to this table... I want to ask everyone in this room to maybe shift your mindset into an attitude of prayer. And ask the Lord to, to reveal into your heart where you are before Him. Are our words acceptable? Is our heart acceptable? If it's not, this is the time to ask the Lord to clean out a few things. If God's law is perfect, and true and clean, the same thing can apply to our soul. And this is an act of worship that Jesus Christ has given us as a gift. Christ gave us this time of communion, of breaking the bread and partaking in the juice as symbols of His sacrifice for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed. This is a time of remembrance, but also a time of as I prepare the elements and I distribute those for a second, use this time to meditate on your attitude toward the Lord. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. These are the commands of Paul. Whoever there eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. These are not words of fear. These are words of caution. These are words that as we come to this table, we are not to come lightly. Number one, this table is for the body of Christ, those who have been redeemed by the blood. Those who have followed the Lord in baptism can also partake in the table. We have two ordinances in the church. We have the Lord's table. We have baptism. You cannot pick and choose one over the other. They are both equally valid. We will 
we'll be having a baptism service here in a couple of weeks. Amen. Chelsea and Tim will be baptized on August 18th. Others who are contemplating that, we can do that too. But let's go into this attitude of prayer. Examine yourself. Examine your relationships with each other. Examine your relationships. same way also we took the cup after supper saying this 
cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that right there, that verse is, is why it is important. If we are participating at the Lord's table, we are proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ as our salvation. And if we are not saved, then we partake of this table. That we will pass judgment on ourselves. You see the difference? This is not just some act of ritual. It is an act of proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And we are declaring to the world, we are under the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. We won't close out with a song, brother. That's a good thing. Has it been good to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. It's always good. I'm so glad to see I'm going to just say, from my perspective up here, you guys are just beautiful. This side over here got a lot more full than this side over here, but it seems like we're spreading out pretty evenly now. And children, I want to say thank you for being here and being so good. All of you. The ones on the front row, the ones in the back. I want you to hear God's word. Amen? What are we singing, brother? Uh, number 375. 375 in the hymnal. Hymnal. Dancing, we'll just sing the first verse.